Thank you to my darling wife. Uh, that is my wife, by the way, in case you didn't know. Uh, and like she said, my name is Gino Allison. I'm one of the pastors here, and I want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Special welcome to anybody who might be visiting with us for the very first time. See some new faces. Glad to have you here with us. And also welcome to anybody that might be listening on our website or through our podcast. You're also welcome to come and worship with us here on Sunday mornings. Well, I just want to say that last week was, was, was off the charts for us. Uh, we celebrated eight years, and we heard some fantastic testimonies about what God is doing in our community, had an opportunity to fellowship together. And I, I, I left, I don't know about you, but I left feeling very full. I left feeling very privileged to be able to lead this church and see what God is doing. And so it is one of the joys of my, my life, and I'm sure I can speak for my wife as well, to have the privilege of leading you uh, fine folks. For the, for the very most part, you don't give me much trouble. Uh, I got a few gray hairs. They, they are the result of me just getting older and not from stress from you guys. And so I really appreciate you guys being a church that is easy to lead. In the spirit of the conversation about leadership, I want to talk about leadership this morning in general. Uh, leadership just happens to be one of my favorite subjects. Um, one, because I, I find it interesting, uh, but the other reason is because it is my life's work. God has um, uh, called me to a life of influence and leadership, and I often wonder uh, if I'm doing well or not. And I have people installed in my life to help me measure that and, and to gauge that, but I, I want to be, whatever I do in my, I want to be the best at it. I want to do the best. And so I'm constantly reading and constantly trying to tap the minds of people who are doing it well to just get a better window, better glimpse into this thing called leadership. I believe, by the way, that God uses leadership like nothing else to shape and form people and to get what he wants done in the earth. Leadership as a tool is something that's powerful and leadership. Anything you do well, you can do poorly, right? So for every great leader you know, you know at least 10 bums, right, who should just get out of the business because they aren't, you know, sort of living up to what leadership um, uh, requires. And I also say that leadership is different from being in charge. Some people are leading, they're actively leading, and other people are just in charge. And I want to say that there's a huge difference between leading, being out front, pressing toward an expected end, a destination, and just being the manager of something, or being the boss of something, or having a title. Leadership is not simply management. It is leading people to a place of an expected end. And so, so that we're all on the same page, to try to find a really good and helpful definition of leadership so that we might have the same working definition of leadership. And I found the best working definition of leadership from one of my favorite books on leadership. It's a book called Master Leaders. Uh, I highly recommend this book um, to anybody, even if you don't consider yourself a high-level leader or somebody who aspires to significant leadership. This is a fantastic book, and it's a book by uh, uh, George Barna. Some of you recognize that name. George Barna is a religious market researcher, and he runs the Barna Research Group. And Barna is specifically, and he and his group are specifically tasked with gathering data on church and religious institutions. And Barna's data is really helpful so churches understand trends, there's generational changes and shifts over the years. Lots of Christian churches look to George Barna and his research group for helpful insight on how to evolve and grow as a Christian organization and Christian community. And so George writes this book because he found himself at this conference or at this particular event 
were like 30 of the, the, the world's greatest leaders from all the corners of different industry, from the marketplace, from religious uh, institutions, from government. He found them under one roof. And as a sociologist and researcher, like his head almost exploded because he has access to all of this wisdom and all of this insight. And so as soon as a couple of days, George Barna just asks all these questions. He's sitting in the green room with these guys, and he's taking copious notes. And this book is the product of those encounters. And it's really, really rich. And so I think that one of the greatest definitions that I've ever heard of leadership comes from George George's book, Master Leaders. And this definition is given by John Ashcroft. Some of you recognize that name, former attorney general, former governor, and U.S. senator. senator. Uh, John says this when asked what leadership means to him. He says, leadership is the identification of noble goals and objectives, and it is the pursuit of those noble goals and objectives with such intensity that others are drawn into the process. So George says, you know, I'm sorry, uh, John says that leaders identify noble goals. Again, leaders are marching towards something. They're marching people towards something. They identify noble goals and objectives, and they pursue those noble goals and objectives with such passion, with such intensity, that the casual onlookers are drawn into the process. I want to go too. I want to follow you there. I want to be a part of this. Uh, John continues by saying the difference between a con man and a leader is that the con man can talk people into pursuing the goals at a greater level of intensity than he himself has. And in, in saying that, he distinguishes a leader from a con man. A leader is himself or herself pursuing these noble goals with such intensity and passion rather than just some con slickster that's just trying to get you to do all the work trying to get you to go someplace that they themselves are unwilling or unable to go. He concludes by saying leadership is taking people where they are not already going. It's about redefining the possible. It's about redefining the possible. And I have been the beneficiary of some of the finest leadership. I'm so grateful for it because these leaders just like John says, had just opened my mind to possibilities. They've awakened things in me that I didn't know, the gifts and talents, things that I was afraid to do, things that I thought I would fail at. The Lisa, you can do that. I see this in you. Come with me to this expected end. And you know what? It happened. It worked. I had to tweak some things along the way. But leaders like redefine what's possible. Henry Cloud in the same book says, when leaders are successful, in the wake of their leadership, you're going to find people who are better off for having been under, with, or alongside their leadership. The mark of a good leader is not simply some joker saying, hey, I'm a good leader. But the mark of a good leader is there will be scores and scores of people, or maybe just a handful of people who say, you know what, my life is better. I live with more intention now. I live a life of purpose because of that person. And if you recall last week, as people were giving their testimonies about what God was doing in their life, we specifically asked them to name names. We specifically say, hey, name the names of the people who have been instrumental in helping you get from point A to B, from B to C. And you heard this flurry of names, and many of your names came up because you're actively redefining the possible. And people would say, they would say that their life is better 
because they were alongside of you. Their life is better because they were following you. This is the essence of what good leadership is. And so this is a good continuation of a series that we've been in for the last several weeks, a series that we're simply calling You Can Grow. And in this series, we've just been identifying simply that God basically expects one thing from us. One thing, if we boil it down, God expects one thing from us. He expects what we expect of these babies that will stand up here in just a few short moments. We just expect them to grow. We expect them just to go from one level to the next, to not stay stagnant, to, to, to be further along today than we were yesterday. To take a step ahead and be a little bit more advanced, and a little bit more advanced, slow incremental growth. If, if we can boil down God's expectation for us, is that we just continue, continue to grow. And we've talked about a wide range of subjects from faith to growing in health and fitness to growing in resilience to growing in discernment. And we continue this week by talking about growing in our leadership. And I just want to say from the outset that leadership is a huge subject. I can't begin to unpack all of what leadership means and all the aspects of leadership. And so today, for the purposes of the, you know, the short time that we have here today, I just want to talk about the very foundation of good leadership. Uh, the point where leadership, good, good leadership must start. You can't leap over this. You can't go through the velvet side rope. Like, if you're going to be a good leader, if you're going to be a godly leader, if you're going to grow in leadership and influence, no matter what realm you're leading, whether it's at home, whether you're a manager or an entrepreneur or a boss at work, or whether you're leading or teaching kids in a classroom setting, or whether you're just leading in the home, you're not going to be a great leader if you try to leapfrog what we're going to talk about today. We must pass through uh, the doorway of the basics of leadership, and I want to unpack that a little bit today. And at the end, we'll segue, hopefully smoothly, into our child dedications, because how many of you know that parenting is probably the highest form of leadership there is? Right? Shaping the hearts and the minds, setting the trajectories of these young future leaders. I can't think of any other job or responsibility that's more significant in the realm of leadership. And so we'll deal with that as well. And so I'm simply calling this growing in leadership. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7? Those of you who are old school, you have your paper Bibles with you. Turn there in the, the books that you brought. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles on the edges of the row. Feel free to use those. If you don't have a Bible at home that you understand, uh, feel free to take that Bible home with you as a gift from us. Matthew chapter 7. Um, and also feel free to follow along if you use your tablets or your phones. That's totally okay here. Matthew chapter 7. While you find it, let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this opportunity, the, 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 the rich opportunity that I have to stand before your, word, uh, your people and bring the word. What a rich subject we are dealing with today, Father, something that I don't take lightly. I, I appreciate it, uh, the leaders that you've installed in my life, and I appreciate the opportunity to lead others. Father, would you teach us this morning? Would you instruct us? Will you help us to grow in this so that we might grow in leadership and be making an impact and a difference? Put power on these words that you've given me to speak. Move the preacher out of the way this morning so that your truth, your light might shine through. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said... Amen. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to start at verse 20, reads this way. The mother of James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request? He asked. She replied, in your kingdom, 
Please let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus answered by saying to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink of? Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. Jesus then told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. My father has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. Uh, When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. They were upset. They were bothered by this. But Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Really rich passage, foundational truth for us. I mean, like, bend the page of this in your Bible because this is something that, as followers of Jesus, we're going to come back to over and over and over. This is, like, really helpful teaching. But I'm struck by, you know, this little passage opens with this mother, you know, leave it to a mother to make such an audacious request, right? Anybody ever been embarrassed by their mother, like, asking something? You say, Mom, don't ask that. Cross, Mom is sitting right next to him, right? He said, Mom, you're, you're a freshman, and you're asking the coach, like, the varsity coach of your son who doesn't play football can start as a quarterback. He's like, Mom, you're embarrassing me. Leave it to a mother to ask uh, an audacious request. But interesting as I look, like, look at this, it, it seems almost like they put her up to it. You know, before when I've looked at this, I, I somehow missed the fact that they were right there with her. And they probably said something like, hey, mom, maybe if you ask him, uh, it'd be hard for him to turn him down. But she asked, hey, listen, my boys are special. I think they're special, much more special than the other 10 disciples. Is it possible that when you send to glory that you might, on your left and on your right, have my boys sit there? Like, they're really special. They work hard. They're good boys. And Jesus basically says, no. He says, no. In fact, what Jesus knows and what we should glean is that the very request reveals that they know very little about leadership and God's kingdom economy. The fact that they even brought it to Jesus' attention, they even brought this question to him, suggests that they know very, very little about leadership. And Jesus, as a master teacher, takes an opportunity to give them just a short intensive on kingdom leadership, and we get to look in this morning. What Jesus knows that some of us don't is that everything about leadership flows. It begins at what Jesus has to say in this passage. And so Jesus takes them to school, and because we are casual observers this morning, he takes us to school as well. And in this short passage and others like it, I want to just sort of reveal two realms of leadership. Again, we're talking about the very basic, very genesis of good, healthy, fruitful leadership. And I want to talk about two particular realms of leadership, and then we'll talk briefly about dedicating our kids. And the first realm is self-leadership. It's self-leadership. 
And this is really underrated, right? Because when we think about leadership, we primarily think of leading others. And we are, you know, in, in the power-hungry West, we admire power and might and loftiness and that swagger of leadership and, like, influence and that people move at our commands and that we can, like, you know, we have some people behind us and, and we forget or we've never been told that where leadership really starts, like the healthy stuff, it starts with you leading you. And in that realm, everybody's a leader. I know you thought you weren't a leader because you don't run a company or you're not a teacher. You're not somebody who you have, you know, people answering to you, people on your payroll. You don't have large, you know, spheres of influence. But let me tell you, everybody is a leader because minimally, minimally, you're leading yourself. And before you get puffed up about that, you're either doing a good job or a poor job. You're either doing well or you're doing poorly at leading yourself. Self-leadership, I believe, is a gift from God because it's a unique opportunity to practice on yourself. The body count is low. Casualty rate is low. The stakes are low. It's an opportunity that many of us pass up on because we're so eager to practice uh, uh, on somebody else. And some of you have worked for bosses. You grew up in families with parents who tried to lead you and they did not bother to lead themselves well. They tried to coach you and showing up on time and being self-controlled and trying to carve out all these things in you and you never saw it modeled in their own life. They were doing a terrible job of leading their, themselves. They tried to hop over and put some things into your life and put some things into play with their influence that were unrehearsed. It was clunky. It was clumsy. And you ended up resenting them because they were trying to carve out something in you that you could not discern in them. I don't think there's anything more frustrated to be led by somebody who's a miserable leader Somebody who lacks self-awareness, somebody who's not caring, somebody who's not a servant, somebody who embodies nothing of what they're trying to expect from us. There's not, is it anybody who's been led by a terrible leader? Anybody been parented by somebody who, who seemed to have no business in charge of another human? Anybody? Self-leadership, that's where it starts. Because I believe if you can't lead yourself well, or you won't work on leading yourself well, you don't deserve the high-stakes privilege of leading someone else. Many of us try to skip over self-leadership simply because it's hard. And we said a few months ago, as we, was talk- we were talking about the work of the Spirit in our life, that the Spirit empowers us to do hard things, and there's no harder thing as many of you have figured out, than trying to lead yourself, dare I say, lead yourself well. But I got good news for you this morning that self-leadership, particularly in a kingdom sense, is a work of the Spirit. You're failing at it because you don't have what it takes to lead yourself well on your own. But oh, it's music to our ears to hear and discover that self-leadership is a work of the Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit wants to do the heavy lifting of helping you make good choices and helping you walk right, talk right, and be disciplined and be principled and to move deliberately toward an expected end. It's the work of the Spirit. 
Paul says this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and last, but certainly not least, self-control. Self-control. And how many of you know that self-control is nothing more than good, healthy self-leadership? Self-control. It's saying no when you need to say no. It's saying yes when you need to say yes. It's getting up and moving toward what you're supposed to move to toward when it's time. It's watching your diet and exercising well. It's being wise and discerning and uh, at healthy way discriminating about who you invite into your space. It's being uh, disciplined about what media you consume and, and how your worldview is shaped. It's self-leadership, and this is where it starts. And let me just tell you from experience, uh, when I'm, I'm leading at my best when I'm leading myself well. In other words, I'm leading others. I'm at my very, very best. And when the leadership of other people starts to break down, I need, usually need only look no further than myself and my own self-leadership, my own self-care to find the problem. And I'm thinking that God has fixed it so that we can't be successful by his standards and leading others if we haven't first gained some mastery at leading ourselves. The proverb says, Proverbs 25, verse 28, a person without self-control or self-leadership is like a city with broken down walls, right? An indefensible city, a city that's vulnerable to attack, a city that, that lives at the whims of whatever would come to uh, attack them or ever come to upset them. It's, you know, a person without self-control, a person who isn't leading themselves well, it's like a, a city with a broken down wall. It's defenseless. It's vulnerable. It's tossed by every wind and wave. And so in Jesus' mind, in his economy, one of the ways to lead yourself is to start with humility. Is to start with Humility. This one thing we pull out of this passage, this little short intensive that Jesus gives his guys on leadership, is that it's humility. And we say this over and over here because this, like, humility is counterintuitive. Like, in the West, we admire might and strength and, like, people who are in charge. But Jesus keeps saying, no, humility is where we start. As we say around here, you got to get low. In God's economy, the way up is down. And this is a hard thing. It's a work of the Spirit. It's laying down your rights. It's laying down your privileges. It's showing deference to others. Jesus says, you know, the rulers of this world lord it over their people. Officials flaunt their authority over those who are under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. In other words, Jesus says, somebody wants to be great. Somebody wants to be important. They don't come to me asking for seats of honor. They want the keys to the broom closet because they want to find where the mop is. Where are the broom? Where's the Swiffer? Where's the shovel? Where's the salt so we can put some down? It snowed last night. Like, that, that's, that's what I'm looking for. And few find this, 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 this path less traveled because it goes down and not up. 
because it's, it's poorly lit and it's a, it's a road less traveled. And so Jesus is being prescriptive here. And he's not just giving these guys the tools to look for leaders. He's saying this is the leadership style and qualities that you yourself should possess because this is what it takes to be a good leader. Interesting thing about leadership in Jesus' mind is whether you're leading or following, you're a servant. Whether you're leading or following in God's economy, you're a servant. In other words, there's no position you can hold in God's kingdom that doesn't classify you as a servant. I say it all the time. We don't graduate. We don't ever graduate beyond servant. In fact, those of us who have more, the more influence we have, the, the dirtier our hands are. The more influence we have, the farther away we have to park. The more influence we have, the, 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 the more work we have, the earlier we have to get here, the later we have to leave. See, we've got this wrong in the kingdom. You never graduate from being a servant. But what growing in leadership looks like, particularly as we try to lead and govern ourselves well, it means that we're constantly getting lower and lower and lower. Our opinion of ourselves, and in the healthiest sense, get lower and lower. I'm not talking about low self-esteem. I'm just saying you're not sitting around all day reading your own press clippings. And that you're showing deference to others. You're, you're looking for a way, you're plotting for ways to serve others. I'm talking about self-leadership. And so, in, in, in a real slick way, Jesus is scolding them and saying, hey, don't you ever come and ask. Don't ever come and ask me for a seat of honor. That's not how this works. Instead, begin by leading yourself well by getting low. And you'll be surprised what getting low and practicing getting low does to your heart. Uh, it makes your heart soft toward people who need you, how it makes you, your heart soft to those who God might eventually put you uh, in leadership positions over. And once we begin to master this first step of self-leadership, then we are ready to enter the more common realm of leadership, and that is leading, leading others. Jesus says, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. In other words, that as we're developing what it takes to lead, one of our things that we're trying to cultivate in others, since we have influence, since we have a voice, since we're leading other people to an expected end, is that we insist or we carve out in others the disposition of a servant. We're leading others to a lofty place, but that lofty place is traveled by going low, by being humble. Because at the intersection of loving God and loving people, which, by the way, is our main objective, at the intersection where those two meet is humility. It's marked by a profound, deep-dwelling desire to do right by other people. A deep-dwelling, like it's just part of your DNA. It's your instincts now. I want to do right by other people. And should God grace me with the opportunity to lead others, I stay awake at night plotting how I can help them succeed in life. I stay awake at night trying to figure out how I can take those who God has given me the opportunity to lead to the very tippy-top floor of their capacity and their ability. 
My goal is not to be liked by you. I, I would like for you to like me. But for those of us who aspire to lead well, we've just budgeted for the reality that if we're doing this right, you won't always like me. I might move on and off your Christmas card like list, depending on what I'm preaching on from time to time, but depending on what the Lord might have me say to you. And those of you who are parents understand that this is true. If your parenting is based on how much your, your kid likes you, you're going to do it wrong. I catch my kids often grumpy with me. You'll get over it. My daddy would say all the time, I'm not your friend, son. I'm taking you to an expected end. I'm taking you to a place where you weren't already heading. Because where you were already heading was someplace easy, someplace comfortable, someplace familiar, and a good leader has the future in his or her mouth and is calling you higher to something that you didn't even think you could attain were it not for their intervention. A good leader like a trainer is working muscles that you didn't even know you had and you're sore afterward and you're mumbling and grumbling after it, but you realize after it all blows over that you're stronger. You can do stuff that you didn't do before. Listen, leaders have the future in their mouth. And they don't care whether you like it or not. Listen, I got plenty to do. So if you decide to go somewhere, I would grieve for a little bit. But, you know, the show goes on because, listen, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and other they will not follow. And what we've settled into is that the people who I'm called to lead will hear my voice, respond to it. And those who don't, they're not bad people. They're just not supposed to be led by me. But we take this seriously and we want to carve out in, in you the things that God calls us to call out in you. We take this seriously leading other people, no matter what realm you lead. Are you asking for wisdom to be a good leader? Great King Solomon, the wise, pleased God so much. The God says, man, I love you so much, son. You're so pleasing to me. Just anything you want, just anything you want, just name it, it's yours. And after his deliberation, Solomon says this, 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 10, Give me wisdom. Give me knowledge to lead them properly. For who could possibly govern this great people of yours? Out of all the things he could have asked for, there's great indication that he took the weight of his leadership, God's people, seriously, because, you know, I might have asked for the Powerball numbers. I might have asked for something, right? Solomon says, give me wisdom. Give me knowledge. Because I take leading other people seriously. Are you asking that, those of you who run your own businesses? Those of you who manage people? The teachers among us, those people who have influence? Are you asking yourself, God, give me me wisdom. Uh, deepen my well of wisdom. Help my situational wisdom grow. Just help me be able to, because it's a high honor to lead the people. Those of your parents, like, are you asking God, like, on your face before God, like, give me wisdom. Give me, give me wisdom so I can lead these kids. Give me wisdom so I'm, I'm not in the way and I'm not a hindrance. God, help me, because what, what a high honor it is to lead. Leadership is a big deal because leadership is power. And Abraham Lincoln said, to test a man's character, 
give him power. Test a woman's character, give her power, or put her or him in charge of somebody. Because good leadership is knowing that you have power, but that your responsibility with that power is to serve, develop, and empower others rather than to use that power and that influence for your own selfish gain. And so some of us, as we sit cross-legged at Jesus' feet and he scolds us because we've come to him with desires for loftiness and our name and lights, he draws us back to being humble. He draws us back to being a servant. He highlights by his spirit the things within us that desire to be important. The desire to have our names mentioned with those who are significant and important rather than saying like Solomon said, God, give me wisdom. Who, who can lead your people? Who can raise these kids? Who, who can run this company? Who can teach these children without wisdom from you? I don't really well, I want to screw this up. God, who? Teach me wisdom. And some of you go, yeah, I need to, I need to be schooled. And the fine art of humility, I don't have it within me. How do I? Pastor Irving McManus of the Mosaic Church in Los Angeles says this of himself. He says, I don't know how to be humble, but I do know how to do humble things, so I just go about faking it. Read that again. I don't know how to be humble within my you know, sinful, selfish self. I don't know how to be humble, but I do know how to do humble things, so I'm just going to fake it. I'm going to do humble things, even though that doesn't initially reside within me. I, I, I'm observing people doing humble things, and so I'm just going to go about doing that. He continues by saying, I'm just going to take out the trash and stack some chairs and clean the floors and scrub some toilets. That's what all the people I admire do, and maybe eventually it will translate into who I am. All to say that we're not just waiting around for some seraphim to come and sprinkle some humble dust on us and that we're transformed like that. Pastor McManus is saying, you know, we start being humble by doing humble stuff. By, by looking at the people who we admire and who we respect. And hopefully the people on your list of people that you admire or respect are people who are leading well, people who have gotten low, people who don't think too highly of themselves, but see it as their God-given duty to get low, to get under those who God has assigned them to and lead them faithfully, diligently, humbly to an expected End. That's what leadership is. And so some of you, your start in self-leadership and the roles and responsibilities you have in leading others is to just start doing humble stuff. Hopefully it'll take root in your life and manifest itself into something that you, just, you become. The well-worn patterns begin to be formed in your life such that this is who you become. Whether this is something you have to work out at work here in your leadership and influence here in the church, in your home, and especially with your kids, it's about serving others, leading others well. And in the spirit of that, I want to talk just briefly before we dedicate these young ones about the great, great, the high honor of leading children well. Listen, these kids didn't ask to be here. 
They weren't in heaven watching flat screens of you being awesome and say, send me to that one. I want, I want to go to that one. I mean, it's, God chose who they land with. And so you were having fun, and the fruit of that fun, nine months later, was a baby. One of my favorite preachers, H.B. Charles Jr., said that babies are like, you know, products from Ikea. He says, Ikea doesn't sell furniture. Ikea sells parts in a, in a box that you eventually put together and become furniture. And in the same way, our babies come home from the hospital, blank slates, right? All these parts that we're supposed to assemble, that we're supposed to construct, that we're supposed to aim and guide such that they follow the path that God has chosen for them. And what a great responsibility to, to lead them well. It's high-stakes stuff. Something that we take really, really seriously here at our church. Paul has great wisdom for parents. He says in Ephesians 6, chapter 4, uh, he says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Now, Paul is not shunning or showing less honor to mothers. It, it might just be the case that us fathers tend to be a little rougher around the edges tend to need a little bit of coaching when it comes to nourishment and not being, as I'm paraphrasing, a jerk to our kids. And Paul is saying, hey, hey, fathers, you know, in just a few verses prior to this, he told the kids, hey, obey your parents, honor your mother and father. This is the first commandment with promise. You'll have long life. And he starts to address the parents. Don't be a jerk to your kids. You're already in charge. They already have to do what you say. Don't blow this. Instead of blowing it, he says, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. In other words, lead them well, grow them up, call them to, call them toward what God has called them to be. To say it more plainly, take them to it. The difference between a terrible leader and a good one is a terrible says, hey, go over there and do that. Hey, hey, somebody go over there and do that. Somebody go down there and bring me that. A, a leader says, come with me. No, no, we're going this way. Come over here. Let me, we're going over here. Come with me and do this. And so this bringing them up, this prescription is not, hey, sit in your easy chair and point what you want them to do. You know, try to get them to do stuff that you yourself are not modeling. This bring them up is like take them where they're supposed to go. Show them the behaviors. Model for them the expected end. And so many of us fail at this because it's like it's really hard work. I like the dailiness of it. Like it's just every, it's, a, it's, a, it's just tedious. And as I was thinking about parenting, trying to figure out and illustrate, how, how can I describe parenting for the uninitiated? I thought of this picture, a long, a like long nail that I'm supposed to drive into something, and somebody gives me this like tiny little hammer. Uh, this little nail that needs to go all deep into this thing. I just get this little tiny hammer. And if I'm, if I'm real about this, it's like, 
three or four, like, long nails. Like, long nail of good manners, long nail of how to treat other people, long nail of God's standard, long nail of, like, you know, this and that. And, like, all day long, we did all day long, every minute for 18 years, and these days, like, beyond, right? It's tiring. And like at times you've been hammering all day, but you don't see like that the, that the nail has moved. And like that's how I describe parent. It's like the tedious, like minutely, like tapping away with our words, with our deeds, with our disposition. Like this is like what we're called to. This is what we're called to. And if you're like me, you've had great parents and you had people who led you and people who inspired you, gave you a picture of where you're supposed to be heading. Uh, my guess is that half or more of the room has had people who have inspired us by their poor examples. And some of you said, I'm never going to be like you. I don't know what I'm going to be. I don't know what I want to look like, but I know I don't want to look like you. And that is not what we're called to. Father was a, was a great leader. He was an imperfect man. He had his flaws. But just, just tapping away, that little hammer, all of my life, all of my, just tapping, hey, son, hey, 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 we don't do that. We don't do that. Young men, put on deodorant. You stink, my boy. Tap, 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 tap. Hey, don't let me ever hear you talk to your mother that way again. Get in there and do what she said. You got to see, son. You're better than that. Riding on the bus, lady gets on, son, stand up, stand up. Get the door for your mother, get the door for your sister. Don't call your sister that. Every And as a strong counterweight to those corrective disciplinary measures, my father was always saying, boy, you're going to be somebody. And God's got a plan for you. He said, you're going to run circles around me. And I'm going to love it. This destiny, there's purpose in you. We don't do that because God has something better. There's always this really sweet dance of, hey, that's not who we are. This is who we are. That's not what you're called to. This is what you're called to. Showing the way, leading the way, and I am, I am who I am today. Because that little hand, got tired with his arms, right? And that's what we're called to. Who's up for that challenge? And so kids like, could care less about the dedication. They're like, they probably sleep right now. This dedication is not for them. It's for the parents. It's for the parents to say, you know what? I want to do that. I want to lead God's way. I want to be humble. I want to find the mops and the brooms and not the thrones of life. I want to serve. I want to get low. I don't want to serve. So in the spirit of that, I want to invite up uh, our families who are dedicating children today. Would you just come right now, please? In any family that wishes to stand with them, just bring these sweet darlings up here so that we can get a good look at them.
I, you know what? I, I've been to a lot of churches, and I think we have the cutest babies. I think we have the cutest babies. <laughs> We've done some research. And again, if you are family here today and you've come to show your support and uh, you're standing with these families. Now, get, now, now, understand something. If you're standing with them, that means you're going to get a little hammer too. And you're going to right. <laughs> you're going to help with this, right? Ah, oh, this is sweet, man. This is sweet. Do we have everybody? Come on up, guys. Don't be shy. Bring your hammers. <laughs> and so as they come, let me just begin to uh, um, just tell you who we have here. Um, Fran, am I saying this right? The Door family? Yes. yes. The Door the door, door children. I'm told that little Eva is sick today, and so she's not here with us. But we have Maximilian Gary Door. Call him Max. Uh-huh. Answer. Yeah, okay. We're going to get to her. I don't need any help here. I was born October 11th, uh, 2011, to Fran and Nick Door. Max is named after the robot in the movie The Black Hole and named after his grandpa, Gary. Um, uh, uh, second, we have um, the newest addition to their family, Anastasia Elena uh, Dorr, and she was born February 25th, 2017. She is named after both Nick's and Fran's oldest sisters. The life verse that they've chosen for their children uh, comes from Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and the future, the door children. Uh, our next uh, child being dedicated this morning is Inyo Yao Irvin. In traditional Ghanaian culture, every name has a meaning. The name of a child uh, gives insight to the personality and the circumstances surrounding the family during the birth of the child. Parents Nunya and Craig followed tradition by waiting to name little Inyo until they met him on January 5th, 2017. And after to get to know him a little bit and his personality, he was given his name Inyo, which means whatever God does is perfect, and Yao meaning boy born on Thursday. Nunya said he's a very happy baby with a friendly disposition. He is the perfect completion. In other words, they're done to their family. Uh, and the Iwu language, Inyo, also means that's enough. And for our family, he is. <laughs> the life verse chosen for little Inyo is James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good and perfect gift comes from a father above. And we continue with our child dedications with Ezekiel. Where's Zeke? Where's Zeke? Oh, Zeke, okay. Zeke, that's my boy. I was born on March 2nd, 2017. Ezekiel's name means God's strengthened. And my wife Shannon shared that she loves this because she feels like God has strengthened her because of Ezekiel. He's a happy, content baby who has com completed the Allison family. We are <laughs> surgically done. <laughs> That's probably more than you wanted to know. <laughs> he is our sweet Zeke boy, incredibly loved by his three big brothers. 
were researching the book of Ezekiel, Shannon says this line seemed to stand out. The book of Ezekiel reminds us to seek out the Lord in those dark times when we feel lost, to examine our own lives and to align ourselves with the one true God. And our life verse comes from Isaiah 26, verse 4. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord is the rock eternal. Our next child being dedicated is Hannah Christine Dagledole Alaya, born September 18, 2017, to Marisol and Chris Alaya. Hannah means beautiful, brave, grace, and favor. Marisol writes, but to Hannah he gave her double, uh, a double portion because he loved her. Chris says, Hannah is a wonderful addition to the family, and her big brother Noah is learning to be, learning to be gentle <laughs> and loving towards her. Their life verses, 1 Samuel 1, verse 5, may the, may the favor of the Lord our God rest upon you and establish the work of your hands. Yes, establish the works of your hands. And finally, our newest baby, Joy Naomi Arsenal. Nikki writes, Joy, like her name, has brought as much joy, excuse me, happiness and delight in the short time she's been around. It is safe to say that the entire family, especially her two older brothers, cannot get enough of her. They are constantly kissing her and arguing over who gets to hold her next. She continues, Joy is referred to as a rainbow baby, which is a baby born after the loss of a previous baby due to miscarriage, stillbirth, or death in infancy. Nearly two years ago, Jordan and Nikki went to an ultrasound appointment to discover no heartbeat with their baby. Nikki uh, later delivered that baby at 11 weeks. She says it was a sad time and happened to take place during a time their family was facing other trials. But God is faithful to his promises, just like he was when he placed the rainbow in the sky after the great flood. Another great promise of his is to never leave us. The Lord walked with the Arsenal family and led them through the grieving process and other difficulties of the day. And then in January of this year, they saw a positive pregnancy test. Hope was restored and little joy came safely into the world just last month. They continue that happiness is fickle, but joy in the Lord is everything and will not fade away when trouble comes. Their verse for a little joy is Psalm chapter 5, verse 11. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing joyful praises forever. Spread your protection over them that all who love your name will be filled with joy. And so these children are gathered here with their parents and their family support systems. To, I mean, they're gathered here to say, hey, we want to do this for real. We want to raise these babies in the way of the Lord. We don't want to just send them. We want to lead them, as we discussed earlier. So I just want to ask a series of three questions. And if you agree with these questions, just simply say, we do. Say it so we can hear you. And we'll proceed with dedicating these children to the Lord. So do you, you parents, present your child in dedication to God's purpose for their lives? Do Uh, do you? They do. They do. Realizing that no one is perfect, will you do your best to model for your child a life of obedience to Christ Jesus? They do. When your child is old enough, will you work to lead them to take their own, excuse me, make their own decision to trust Jesus as their Savior? Well, in the spirit of all those we do's, let's uh, dedicate these children to the Lord. And so if those of you who are sitting out in the seats wouldn't mind just coming up and helping pray for, for these folks briefly, uh, we're going to do that. I have some uh, oil here. 
This is just a faithful Christian tradition. There's really nothing special about this oil, only that we blessed it, and it's a symbol of God's anointing and his favor as we uh, bless these little children. So I'm going to do that as I pray for them. And so if those of you who have gathered can just, and those of you out there, just extend your hand these, this way as we bless. Huh? You can. You can just, yeah. So you, you, and so you want to do this? And so, Lord, we thank you for these beautiful children. We thank you, Lord, for what this represents for our church. We, we call it natural church growth, that we just see babies and babies being produced here, Lord. This is your will. This is the future. And you've called us, Lord, to lead these children in your way, to speak truth to them, to point them toward you, to instill discipline and like a standard to set their feet on the rock that is Christ Jesus. And so, Father, we take leadership of these young lives very, very seriously. And so, Father, we ask for your help. We ask for your patience. We ask for your guidance. Father, we ask for stamina. We ask for grace and forgiveness and the will to get up each and every day and to raise these kids in a way that you would find acceptable. So I pray for each and one of these children, each one of their parents, uh, each one of their parents, and, and all the people who have gathered here, and even those who, who couldn't make it here today, Father, that have committed to be a part of the village that will see to it that these children uh, walk in the way of the Lord. And we pray, we've been praying for, from the very beginning that not a single child connected to this ministry would be lost. Lord, I know that's a, that's a tall order. But our prayer, Lord, is not a single one of these kids would be lost. That Satan cannot have them. The world cannot have them. That each and every one of these kids, though they may stumble, though they may have doubts, maybe they might wonder a little bit, but not a single one of these kids will be lost. They will all grow up to know, love, and serve you. God bless them. Keep them. Make your face to shine upon them, Lord, and give them the fullest measure of your peace. We ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.